welcome back. G5 Football Daily on Athlon Sports. I'm Joe Londrigan. Nice to talk to you all again. On this episode, I have a special guest for you all and thought it would be very appropriate to bring her on, considering we got the first coaches poll of the season and Tulane at 23, highest ranked G5 team in the nation with that number. Just in case you've been living under a rock for the last year or so, the Green Wave had such a magnificent season under Willie Fritz in 2022 after a dreadful one in 2021. So it just makes it all the more impressive. So as they get ready to, uh, you know, try to put on an encore, I guess, of that incredible Cotton Bowl win against the Heisman winner, finishing in uh, finishing ranked in the AP poll, Thought it would be great to talk to Maddie Hudak. If you live in Louisiana, specifically the New Orleans market, you've probably seen her around on various sports programs. Uh, She is a sideline reporter for Tulane football. She hosts a podcast called Before the Whistle and uh, also does some Saints stuff around town, specifically 104.5 ESPN, uh, coming out of Baton Rouge, I believe. So check out her work for sure if you like football in general, especially in the New Orleans area. Um, but picked her brain for a good half hour here on what's next for the Green Wave and Michael Pratt and Sincere Hainsworth and these guys that have a real shot at playing on Sundays. So here we go. Hope you enjoy it. Happy football watching. Hudak, like the Hudak chant, as she tells me. Uh, great to chat with you today. Let's jump right into the two lane talk. Uh, your alma mater went from two and ten in uh, 2022 or 2021, rather, uh, all the way to 12 and two AAC champ, Cotton Bowl champ last year. Uh, before we jump into the 2023 season, what's it been like as an alum and someone close to the program to see how much they've grown in the last calendar year? I consider myself lucky that my first season actually was the two and 10 year. I feel like if I had come in last season, I would have just been missing so much context and being an alum. I went there, I graduated in 2016. That was the second year of Yeoman stadium. So when I went there to start, they were still playing in the Superdome and no one went to those games. Our quarterback was Nick Montana and for being part of the Montana lineage, it did not translate. Um, in the same way it does in the Manning family. But, uh, you know, I show up and I, I had heard about Michael Pratt. I knew the former voice of the Green Wave for, I think it was 27 years total in baseball, 12 in football and basketball, and who helped me get the sideline job. His name is Todd Graffinini. He's now the voice of the Pelicans. He had called me during the pandemic and told me to turn on my TVs. Like this kid, Michael Pratt, is starting for Chile now. I feel like you want to pay attention to this. It was actually the Tulsa game that they had lost in double overtime. Um, where he ultimately ended the game with a pick six, but I was so impressed with his mental toughness in that season alone. And then, yeah, we get to the 2021 season and it seems like they should be a really good team. And then hurricane Ida happens. And as much as they stopped using that as an excuse partway through the season, it it was so discombobulating for me. And I'm not having to worry about conditioning my body, getting proper nutrition, getting the right exercise. And they just did not have 
access to all those amenities in Birmingham. And so then you have them go and play an SEC team and all Miss that's already has the size advantage. And it was just, I think that's really what was a snowball effect, including the fact that it broke one of our captains, uh, fibula tibia or whatever the leg bone is, Nick Anderson, Michael Pratt got super banged up in that game as well. But I just felt like they were a better team than two and 10, but you are what your record is at the end of the day. So when they came in this season and they were saying conference championship, you know, it was all the way back in spring camp. And I, I kind of felt like I was enjoying living in delusion with them, but I was kind of willing to go along with it. But by the time spring camp was over, I, I was with them. Like I saw a completely different mentality. And I remembered seeing a team that closed out every single game at the end of that year, fought through the end when they were completely you know, eliminated from any bowl contests. Their second win came in week 11. So that to me really stuck out the fact that they were able to kind of get it together after another Tulsa overtime loss at homecoming, which was actually my five-year homecoming as an alum. So that went hit hard, but uh, all of that to say uh, the pieces were all there. Uh, It just speaks to the culture and program of Tulane that no one transferred from that year. And I think it really speaks to Willie Fritz that he made a lot of tough calls and assembled a really almost entirely new coaching staff and it paid off in spades. Looking ahead to 2023, do you feel like that culture resulted in the same kind of uh, transfer portal? Um, Did they hang on to as many guys as they maybe should have? We lost a few guys in the transfer portal. And I think with NIL happening nowadays, it's there's so many variables there, but really no, they lost more people to the NFL draft. Um, But, you know, the quarterback staying is such a paramount part of all of that. And the early announcement um, prior to the bowl game by Michael Pratt with the surprise return of his center, Sincere Hainsworth, that to me makes such a difference. But Willie Fritz really seems to kind of have his finger on the pulse on the transfer portal. That's largely how he filled a lot of those gaps last season uh, with guys like Lummy Young, Lawrence Keyes, that had really big impact on the team and you know, they got a, a offensive lineman transfer, a good tight end. Tra- There's a ton of defensive backs that are that have all transferred in, but you know, they've also signed their highest recruit in program history this off season and probably one of the best ranked recruiting classes that they've had. It just go to kind of show that success breeds success, but it's a feeling we're <laughs> not used to here at Tulane. You know, you don't usually keep the coach and the quarterback, especially if you're like a New Orleans Saints, uh, Saints, everyone in Louisiana is kind of used to a heartbreak in sports. And, you know, that was, to me, Willie Fritz staying, Michael Pratt staying. I really think that they can make a really strong run at things because the difference from last season to now is there was an air of anxiety where I think they could all see it. But this year, you know, they they know that they can hang with the big dogs and come back from a deficit that a lot of teams would have completely checked out of. I think a lot of people are looking forward to seeing what Tulane does in the American this year. Now that the conference has such a different makeup with the six teams that came over from conference USA, you know, as someone who obviously knows not just Tulane, but that conference uh, pretty well, what do you think of the new additions to the league? I'm a new college football fan really as of the last two years, just because again, there really wasn't a kind of a college football culture at Tulane. I was abroad the first season Yeoman was built. So I kind of got the sophomore hangover effect of people that went like way too hard at the tailgates the first year of its like inception. And we're just all super burnt out. Um, 
So, you know, I'm not entirely well-versed on every single team that's coming into the conference. Um, I, I think that it's stronger than I, I, people really think because you just think about all the schools in Texas and the recruiting pipelines that exist there that they're just always going to be able to kind of have those warm bodies at the spaces that they need. And uh, I've met you know, the director of personnel over at UAB uh, and I really like him. I'm really curious to see how Trent Dilfer does as, as a coach down there. Uh, but, you know, we played UAB and they beat us in that 2021 season. And UTSA, I think, is the one that's kind of being touted as uh, the potential one that they're kind of going to battle against. But to be honest, when you look at the pedigree of the teams that they beat last season, including the eventual Big 12 champions in Kansas State, um, I don't think they were the Pac-12 champions. I think they lost in the conference championship. But Heisman Trophy winner is kind of enough. And then Cincinnati, Houston. And the third team, that's like UCF, I guess that was kind of one and one. But to me, they were able to beat a team that went to literally the college football playoffs the year before that had multiple guys drafted in that draft that year. Desmond Ritter, Alec Pierce, Sauce Gardner, and Tulane played them that year with their third string quarterback, Kai Horton, who eventually had a really full circle moment moment um, in Houston. So I don't see any reason that Tulane really shouldn't be kind of solidified at the top of the food chain at this point. But I'm curious to see kind of how these new additions really shape out the conference, because I do think that it offers a lot of wide open competition. Maybe there's a new rival to be had. Assuming everyone stays healthy, what do you think the ceiling is for this program right now? I mean, they should be, to me, I don't see why the site shouldn't be set on repeating a conference championship and getting that new year six bowl game slot. I, I think that that win last year did a lot for G five programs in general, because I, if I'm correct, the last win by a G five team in that situation was in 2017. And I don't think anyone that didn't pay attention to Tulane thought Tulane had a chance against USC. It just has that air to it. The Pete Carroll years, uh, Reggie Bush, who, you know, Tajay Spears looked at as his idol the Heisman Trophy winner. But what I think everyone was missing there was that game was kind of an Oklahoma revenge game for those guys because Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams, albeit he wasn't starting, he did actually play in that game though. You know, after the conference championship, I remember Michael Pratt immediately saying, I can't wait to get another shot at Lincoln Riley. And I'm like, that's pretty aggressive for someone to say. And it wasn't, you know, in a hateful way, but you could tell that, I mean, I was, I unfortunately was in a hotel in Florida and didn't get to go to that game, but I have, I have yet to see a single game performance that embodies toughness in every aspect more than Michael Pratt that game and and being, you know, those inches away from that fourth and 13 conversion. It felt again, very full circle when it was that fourth and six on the final drive and Michael Pratt got, you know, an extra yard in addition to what he needed. It was kind of like getting that back, but Again, people probably didn't think they had much of a chance. And I've said it kind of reminded me of the Saints in the Super Bowl where they were playing hard. They were not giving up. But Caleb Williams was playing like you'd expect a Heisman Trophy winner to play like. And it got to a point where, you know, I'm in my headset because if they were uh, if they lost, I go up and host the post game. If they win, I stay on the field and interview the players. Cowboy Stadium has a very, very high uh, up there. And so I remember us kind of discussing that and there was something in me that just wouldn't let me 
leave the field because in my head that would mean that I would be the first one that's quitting on this game. But the fact that they made that comeback and the way that it unfolded and a defense that couldn't get a stop all game gets a safety. I mean, and then a freshman tight end who's made like four to six catches all year makes the game winning touchdown and like a 26 yard completion on the fourth and 10 on that same final drive. Like it was just such a nuts series of events that if they went through all of that and were able to pull that off, I don't see any reason. uh, I don't know. Tajay Spears is gone, but I I think that this is going to be the year of the quarterback at Tulane. And that's something as a reporter, I'm really looking forward to kind of covering. Since it is the year of the quarterback, you've mentioned Michael Pratt a few times, obviously had a stellar stellar year last year. People expecting more of the same from him. Uh, from watching him in, in spring ball or otherwise, do you notice any major you know, switch-ups as far as how he's preparing for this season or no? Uh, he looks like he's kind of leaned out in a way, not in a um, you know, losing weight kind of thing, but he just looks like he's really spent time working on how to, you know, get the proper strength and conditioning and have that work for like a quarterback body. But I was, I was actually there with my friend who uh, was going to kick a field goal uh, with Will Lutz. And we were trying to practice because what we both played soccer, but we had no idea what we were doing. And while I was there, you know, he came out at some point and was working with the trainer. And yeah, I, I said that his footwork really improved last season, and that's something that stuck out to me. But the thing, I, the stuff I was watching him kind of do behind the scenes of you know running in between the bags and really having to focus on that in his face, and then you know those kind of like when you see those videos of quarterbacks throwing it in like those little three hole basketball things like from afar, Audience, and just yeah. his act. Yeah, the, the chemistry he has with his receivers, I just think can't be understated. Because now you have guys like Jaquan Jackson on year three or year four. You have Lawrence Keyes on year two, who I just really expect to really take off. And, you know, completing just 70-yard passes with ease in camp. But his reaction time, his release looks quicker. And he just seems to really have that sense of command. But I think you're going to really see his accuracy and his mechanics improve this year. He told me that he studies Drew Brees on tape, which is interesting to me because Drew Brees is someone that you know had to overcome so many physical limitations. Michael does not have any of those at all. But as much as he has that really good straight line speed and is able to use it and smartly does when it matters, like in Kansas, when you know they have eight defensive players in coverage, sometimes you can't throw the football. But he tries so hard not to kind of rely on that. And that's why I'm just impressed by him saying something like Drew Brees and not you know, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, someone that has a little more of that mobility. He really wants to focus on that cerebral aspect of it, and it shows. When you look at kind of the just New Orleans sports culture, you mentioned the Saints, whole city is crazy about them. You got the Pelicans, you got uh, uh, LSU, obviously. Where do you feel like Tulane is now in that New Orleans sports conversation now that they had such a stellar year last year? They're as relevant as every other team here. And I think that really goes to speak to just the importance of last season. Just, you know, when I, uh, my mom's from here. So I I came here every summer for a a month plus all all the time growing up. And all I saw were LSU and Saint stuff all the time. There was maybe one or three, two like Hornets people because that was before they switched over to the Pelicans. But, you know, the Pelicans really didn't have much of a presence in the city either until Quite, I mean, yes, Sean Williamson, but quite frankly, Willie Green, I think, is the one that 
cemented that here, but no one talked about Tulane. Like it, it just, everyone just kind of knew it as the small private school uptown, but you know, LSU was the, the talk of the town. I think it really helps that Tulane actually played LSU in the, the whatever they're called, the world college world series. And I believe we're one of, if not the only team to get a hit off of Paul Skeen's not once, but twice in that game. And it, I believe it was something like a three score loss, which really is not that bad on paper when you consider who they were playing there. But I've heard so many stories of people that were in sports bars here that were surrounded by LSU fans that were all saying like, turn off the LSU game. We all want to watch the cotton bowl. Like this is about Louisiana kind of thing. Now I'm sure that that'll all, you know, second again, that there's any rivalry stuff to be had, that'll all get thrown out the window. But in that one moment, I think that everyone did really understand how important that was for this city because it, it is, you know, just walking around town, it's, everyone has Tulane stuff on it's in airports. It's just like, we're all kind of laughing hysterically because no one really know. Again, if you've been a long time Tulane fan, this feels like this is the start of a completely different new era of football. And you could have said that immediately after last season, but I just think the way that the last few months have gone that everywhere I go, even to saints practice, you know, everyone wants to know about Tulane now. And people had no curiosity uh, before uh, except kind of last season, like what's going on here. So I think they really, you know, they have this sign above the tunnel that says Nola's local college football team. And I think that they've earned the right to call them that. Seems like things are only going up for Tulane with that new facility that was announced. Um, any new uh, details on that or, or just things about that facility that you're particularly excited to see come to fruition? I am not entirely sure of details because every time I walk in the center, you know, I was like, uh, where's the weight room? Because there's a giant boarded up thing. But just the amount of change that I've already seen. They're renovating the locker room from the photos I've seen. It looks really fantastic. I know that they're planning to build an indoor practice facility and um our athletic director had done a podcast with my, my boss voice of the wave Corey glore where he said that they're working with a local architecture to try to design it so i think you know they got attention and just to be upfront like tulane has a lot of rich alumni that go to that school um just a lot of people that went there already were fairly affluent but it was always a disconnect between athletics and academics at that school. And I think that they've gotten an influx of money that they needed in order to really make these changes, but trying to decide kind of where the best place is for that, wanting to build an ops building. So that's all in flux. What I think is the sleeper uh, change of this uh, upcoming season is that they got new turf installed. Um, from what I've heard, it's not the same kind as before. And they had that turf that has been linked to higher ACL injuries in the NFL with the three pronged turf kind of thing. And I just think that if there's any chance that there is an increased risk of something, I've heard something about being coconut turf. I don't really know what that means, but I'm looking forward to that because I think that that just, we, you know, we made it through injuries last year and I've seen ACLs happen on the street, on grass, so they can really happen anywhere. But I just, again, when there is any type of correlation, I just think that it's better to get that done. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that and looking forward to where the practice indoor practice facility is going to end up. Um, as much as I will miss the Saints facility, mainly because I uh, live five minutes down the street from where that's located. So it's just an easier drive for me, but it'll be 
great to have something like that on campus, especially when it's just disgusting outside and we're done with the, you know, heat training of the summer that we're all going to need. It gets hot in Louisiana in June and July. My goodness. <laughs> it doesn't stop either. That uh, we'll miss yeah. September 9th game at 2.30. Everyone uh, maybe get an IV before drink. you go to the game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Need to make sure you're ready to go for that. Um, you know, I think with Willie Fritz, um, obviously he got that big extension uh, after the Cotton Bowl. And I think a lot of people were uh, excited to see that, um, you know, after this season, you know, do you kind of expect some of the bigger money programs to to come calling? And if so, do you think Tulane can sustain the momentum that he's started to build here in the event that that happens? Uh, yes and yes, because if you, when you think about it, they came calling last season and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, unless Tulane completely, you know, goes downhill, I, I, you know, to me, if you're asking me like, what are the traits that embody coach of the year? It was Willie Fritz to me. And I know that I have a bias there, but I don't think it was just completely grasped by people until the cotton ball win. Because it just gets thrown out of this single greatest season turnaround in college football history kind of, you know, moniker thing. But again, these guys won two games the year before. And not only did they win 10 more the previous season, they only lost one starter to the transfer portal. In the age of NIL and the transfer portal influx and guys like Nick Anderson, Dorian Williams, Tajay Spears, Michael Pratt, who would have gotten offers from other places. And the fact that you had guys like Tajay Spears in the regular season loss to, for, uh, to Memphis that year, say in his post game show uh, that he was coming back, you know, we all looked around and we're like, breathe a sigh of relief. Cause we knew that, you know, that was really an important domino there. But I think the way that he, like the Georgia tech thing last year, I don't think you're ever going to have that happen again. Where quite literally a coach turns down a power five job based on principle. And that shouldn't be something, you know, that anyone should really be expected to do. Like, I understand it's a business and that asking someone to do that sometimes can be asinine, but you just think about, you know, how Willie Fritz has genuinely built himself from the ground up. You know, he is coached at every single level of college football, except the power five, but he's driven the, we got, you know, drove, drove the bus at the junior college. He painted lines on the football field. Like he has truly done it all, but I think that there's a sense that it's not done yet at Tulane. Mm -hmm. Like they started this legacy and timeline, but with the college football playoffs opening up and the fact that, you know, quite honestly, conference realignment is always still going to be in flux. I think that the overwhelming reaction when it was, you know, rumored that he was leaving, uh, it was, that's where a lot of, you know, that's where a lot of the money came from, to be honest. That's what got a lot of people on the phone saying, well, you guys can't let this guy leave. And that's how I felt. That was, you know, I was in a really morose place to start the championship week off because I'm, I'm just thinking in my head, you know, I, I can't only get two seasons learning from a coach like Willie Fritz, but I think he really, I think he loves Tulane. He loves the city of New Orleans. It's hard not to. But, like, when you love this city, the people will love you back, and it's a type of love you just can't really replicate elsewhere. So, I mean, it's a seven-year extension that he signed. That, to me, is, yeah, 
why sign that if you have one foot kind of, you know, out the door? I, I think sure. he, you know, wanted these kind of renovations and things done to better the team, but just feels like, again, the athletic department and the acad- academics and the university are all working in concert now. And, and that really will change everything because Tulane almost voted to get rid of athletics a few years ago because there was just such a disconnect between all of the points of that university and the fact that President Fitz and Troy Dannon co-signed the statement about Willie Fritz staying. That was really, it was kind of a hidden big sign that all these big heads have kind of come together. Yeah, you know, and then which, <clears throat> side note, when Willie Fritz did sign that extension, I don't think I've seen that Wolf of Wall Street, Leo DiCaprio meme get more play than that day. Um, so that was a fun, that was a fun day on Twitter. Rest in peace to Twitter, hopefully. But um, <laughs> I'm, I'm which, still on the fence about threads, man. I don't get it. I feel like a mom on Facebook when it just started, but we'll see. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's it's in its infancy for sure. I think we're giving Mark Zuckerberg too much credit as the hero. It's like on a TV. He's not a hero. First season. <laughs> exactly. I, I completely agree. I completely yeah. agree. I think I, that's what I'm saying. I think people are giving him a little too much credit. But yeah. threats isn't, isn't too bad yet. Um, but to to jump back into the football yeah, talk, um, the, uh, it seems like the, the culture that Fritz has created is a huge reason why they've retained so much talent. Without question, just, you know, when I had done a piece on Nick Anderson, he said that when he came to Tulane on his official visit, he saw something that he had not seen anywhere else. And it was genuinely a brotherhood. And you can see that. You can see how these guys hold themselves really accountable for one another. And the fact that, you know, the captains really led a lot of the charge of last season. It was a very player-led team. The Georgia Tech stuff. They held a player-led meeting that week and said, like, we're not going to let this get in the way of everything that we've worked for up to this point. After the uh, season ended last year, four captains, Sincere Hainsworth, Michael Pratt, Dorian Williams, Nick Anderson, all sat down together and made a list of what went wrong last year, what things were out of their control, and what were the things that they could change to make the season better. And then, they, you know, they make this PowerPoint about going to the conference championship. and that to me again when I walked into spring camp I'm like what like what are you guys talking about honestly but by the end of spring camp again I I started to believe them and that just speaks to those players and what they were really able to do for one another but it, it it's always just bigger than football in Louisiana in general and I just think about the fact that you know Devin Walker um who was paralyzed my freshman year at the university um on the football team you know they run out and that number 18 flag that they hold and they run out of the tunnel is Devin Walker's number just as he's always on the sideline they um had you know Cooper and Arch Archie that's the dad uh come to Tulane and and announce that they were sending Devin Walker to the Cotton Bowl just all of those things to me really speak to it the spring game that we had this year the fact that you know so many people showed up so many old players, including Matt Forte, and just it just really seems like there's generations of a, a brotherhood here. But to me, again, you, you can't really make a better argument for culture than the last four minutes of that Cotton Bowl game and really the whole game out that. I never saw guys on the sideline blaming one another, getting mad, 
uh, you know, throwing any kind of fits and going off to the side. They were so in that together. That to me really just, again, was a hell of a closing argument for the house in which Willie and his players have built there. Given where Tulane Athletics has been the last couple of years, like you mentioned, where they were thinking about getting rid of athletics altogether, now we're at a point where, given the state of the Pac-12 and, and the Big 12 on the expansion track, uh, Tulane is is getting mentioned by you know people like myself and, and other people in positions like mine as potentially a candidate for you know P5 expansion. Do you see that being possibly in the in the university's future, or do we need to slow that down a little bit? I don't think there is any slowing down conference realignment, to be honest with you. Uh, Well, sure. Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, you know, like you can talk about like legacy and history and how teams have done over the last couple of years. And if you're going to make that argument, then, you know, two wins are going to have a shot in anything. Uh, But, you know, you hear about SMU being touted as going to a different conference and, I just, it's hard for me to say that another team in the AAC should be deserving more attention than Tulane right now. And, you know, the fact that they do fit academically speaking, research speaking with the Pac-12, um, obviously the travel schedule with the Big 12 would be better, but I think you're kind of at the point where if you get a bid to one of these Power 5 te- uh, programs that you jump to it. But uh, again, you know, they, for all intents and purposes, could have beat Oklahoma very easily if they got that fourth down conversion. You know, they beat Kansas State. They beat USC. They beat all those teams last year that were going out of the conference. Ole Miss will be a really good test this year. Um, that's really the game that I have kind of circled on my calendar. But you know, that's, to me, if they're able to beat Ole Miss, then I don't really see any reason that they can't hang with anyone in these other conferences. But I just think you sometimes have to go with the hot hand and the momentum. And the reality is like people have eyes on Tulane. Now people really like Willie Fritz. People really like the city of new Orleans. It's a good travel location. So yeah, I I think that Tulane makes sense for a lot of these jumps and I'm just curious to see how it all plays out. Tulane more sec championships than uh, South Carolina for sure. I think more than uh... almost every team in the sec, if I'm correct. I mean, in the modern era, it's been all yeah. Alabama and Florida and LSU. So I, I would believe it. Um, but Maddie Hudak, thank you so much for joining. And uh, we'll be sure to talk to you more and obviously follow you all on uh, on Twitter. Not on threads yet, but I think you will be at some point. Um, oh, I'm on yeah, threads. I just forward. don't know what's happening oh, you are. on there. Yeah. <laughs> Feels like so my far it's needs Twitter. I kind of like it, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do on that app. Honestly, I don't know how to act. The second they let me start playing 2004 emo songs when people click on my profile, then I think it'll be goaded. But anyway. (laughs) Oh, Maddie, thank you so much for your time. Awesome. Thank you. If you want to follow Maddie Hudak on x twitter whatever it is now it's at m-a-d-d-y-h-u-d-a-k underscore 94 and again check out all of her work covering Tulane the Saints everything else uh so thankful she had a few minutes for us on this new thing we're working on and if you want to support this thing and and help it keep growing uh, subscribe on apple spotify whatever your preferred podcast platform is and uh, if you want to check out some clips 
uh, follow along uh, myself and, and Eric Henry, who's also kind of helping out with this. That's at G5 Football Daily on Instagram and TikTok and uh, potentially some more platforms to come. And then, of course, athlonsports.com for all of our G5 football coverage. Happy football watching, everybody. We'll talk to you again very soon with some more fantastic guests. Mm-hmm.